With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing, one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants, Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are back on the making of a marketer for part three of our C-level series. We've made it to the end, Jess. Uh, Jess Nickerson, Andy Pondillo, cleaning it up with our sessions that we've been having. And it has been an amazing discussion as we've taken kind of a a tour of the C-level world. And today, very, very excited to welcome our CRO guest, Super Tim Bizwaz, someone that I worked with in the past. And we did some magic together, Super Tim, and really excited to have you and hear, you know, through your lens as a CRO, the current uh, CRO of Wired Score. But before we get into that, Jess, it's a, a happy Friday. We mixed it up a little bit today and did it at the end of the week. So you feeling good? You feeling energized? You know, I had a few days off this week. So, you know, I'm coming in a little extra hype this week for you. I, I love it. Yes. Feeling very, very good. And Jess, last episode, as you remember, she went to Disneyland. Uh, <laughs> so no Disneyland excursions for you this week. However, I'm going to a theme park, Kings Island um this weekend so i will have my personal report of navigating crowds because we're going on opening day which if you know anything about opening day no matter what it is opening day can be uh intense but let's get to the the meat and potatoes today super tim a welcome aboard we're very again very very happy to have you and and super tim and i have had a lot of different discussions in our past, when it relates to marketing, sales, you know, business functions, when it comes to the whole, you know, marketing sphere, and something that I like to say before we even get this thing rolling is an advice that my mom gave me when I was making $8 an hour, I was just getting uh, out of college, I was just starting my career, she said, Andy, if you can learn the business side of things, no matter where you work, 
you'll be able to grow within the business, but it's essential to learn the business side. And I think that's great advice as we start today, you know, looking at the business side of, you know, a CRO role, but also looking at that marketing plus sales plus business function that really, you know, controls the landscape of what we do. So Super Tim, welcome aboard. And our first question, we'll start it right off that we've asked all of our guests is creatively, you know, we get stuck, you know, we get kind of stale. All of us have it. How do you get unstuck creatively in your role? Thank you, Andy. And thank you, Jess, for inviting me over. Um, it's a real pleasure. Uh, and I do remember a lot of good conversations from the past, Andy. So thanks for inviting me over. It's a really good question. Um, uh, the question on creativity. We all get stuck, don't we? Um, we all have our, have our moments when we are trying to conjure up uh, our imagination to build something new. It may be a new idea, a new product, a new problem that we are trying to solve. Um, personally, for me, um, you know, pattern recognition tells me that every time I get stuck, it's usually because I do not understand the problem deeply or fully. Uh, and so what I try to do for myself is to um, try and develop a new perspective by talking to, uh, you know, sometimes talking to experts, people who know the subject better than I do, have uh, a credible body of work um, that I can sort of tap into to, to um, fuel my imagination, if you will. Talking to customers often if it's a problem that's related to uh, because customers have insights that um, we sometimes don't have. They use the product in a way that we haven't even imagined. And I find these conversations with customers are very um, enlightening. And uh, sometimes, Andy, to the reference about your mother, talking to a complete outsider, someone who has an outside in view, uh, uh, often looks at things at a, uh, a thousand feet level that uh, we, we often miss because we are in the weeds uh, trying, trying to be imaginative. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I try to do. And based on experience, this changes my perspective in a way that is not possible organically. Um, you know, uh, and, um, outsiders offers, uh, offer simple takes, customer off customers offer unique insights and experts, um, ask great questions that widen your, um, field of inter interrogation. So that's sort of my, uh, playbook. If, if you would like to call it that. I love that super Tim that you talk about customers and finding creativity through their response. In some of my past lives, I've been someone that managed reviews, Yelp, Facebook, you name it, all the reviews. And you see them all in this bundle and you start to correlate consistencies. And, and then you also see where there could be some sort of miss somewhere, something or something they're asking for, you know, um, and there's a lot of softwares that help do that, but I don't feel like you're undermining the power of just having the conversation, just hearing it from the human side. And I, and I really like to hear that because I think that's something that we can all overlook at times is that we look at data, hard data. We talk about creative best practices and things that we can do, but sometimes the customer is the one that will consistently tell us where we need to make changes. That's absolutely right, Andy. And we, you know, I love using technology to the to the extent possible to uh, capture data at scale. But um, human conversations have some, you know, often provide me unique insights. So 
I've often gotten on a plane even, uh, you know, traveled a little distance to have a coffee. And I found um, insights that I would not have if I didn't talk to those customers. And it's not scalable, like to your point. Uh, that's why you've got to rely on data, like uh, review sites and whatever, um, you know, customers filling up your website form and giving, you know, read that carefully. Uh, I find customer support departments are often a great source of insight. People who are taking those calls or writing those emails. Like I often uh, would put salespeople through in their onboarding process through a customer support uh, life as a customer support executive for a week because they'll uh, learn a lot more about what's really important before they get to the field and start pitching the product. I love it. So Super Tim, you hit on a lot of things already right there, whether it be customer support, sales, the learnings that you've had over your career. Let's talk about that real quick. You know, you've worked your way up to CRO. You've been mastering this for over 25 years, but tell us how you got to the position you're at right now at WiredScore as CRO and kind of that, you know, that navigating the career hierarchy and, and the things that you've done and, and learned along the way. Yeah, it's it's been a very long time. Like you said, it's 20, 28, 29 years now, Andy. I, I started off as an engineer. Like, uh, you know, I st was trained as a mechanical engineer. Um, uh, my first job was um, in a steel company. Uh, in, in those days, it used to be called the electronic data processing department, which was sort of shorthand for um, um, computers, if you will, uh, in a steel business. And, you know, I taught myself programming uh, when I was in university and kind of uh, really liked technology. That's that's how I kind of got, got into technology. Um, so engineer, uh, from engineer to sales engineer, uh, you know, cutting a long story short from there to sort of product management and marketing and ultimately sales. And uh, I was, so my wheelhouse is sales and revenue management for the longest time in my career. Um, and I, I got into sales because... I really liked um, talking to customers, sort of discovering uh, what the problem was and helping them solve. You know, back in those days, you didn't think of sales in terms of solving problems. You thought of sales as, uh, as a way to sell. And I found the easiest way to sell was to solve a problem that the customer had. And, um, and that's, that's been my career journey. Uh, so CRO for the last... Um, five, six years, uh, and before that sort of VP sales, VP marketing, um, you know, that's been that's been my wheelhouse. And really, I specialize in, in kind of the startup space. I really like the energy of a growth startup. So when you have found product market fit and you're kind of racing to find go-to-market fit and scaling up, like I call this the 10 to $200 million uh, ARR journey, if you will, magic happens in that time. The company changes every six months, seven months. If you're doing well, uh, new people come in. Um, uh, culture, you know, the culture grows. Uh, you build more product lines. You have many more customers. It's just an amazing, magical experience when you kind of go through that stage. Um, so that's that's my wheelhouse. I really want to hit on something that you talk about, Super Tim. Jess, you're a big proponent of this. When we have our discussions, almost every podcast, we talk about listening to customers. And, you know, Super Tim, your basis for, for sales and your theory about, you know, solving those solutions with sales, I find really interesting. And, you know, it's something just, I know I'd like you to elaborate on that, that you talk about quite a bit. And 
I will admit when I present, that's not something that I have in my sessions right now. And we do have sales, marketing, and creative teams in my sessions. It's just prompted me that I need to give it a little more of that oomph because sometimes, you know, it's just a great reminder to, to really instill that philosophy across teams. Absolutely. I've, I've had to hold back here. I've wanted to stand up and clap with everything that you've been saying, Super Tim. It's it's incredible and spot on. And I, I and I and I love to like the engineering background. I feel like that has helped cultivate your mindset. That's mindset around curiosity. I mean, going to the customer to and being curious and and developing a deeper understanding of what they are going through is so key. So I, I love everything that you are saying right now. And it's very inspiring and something that all of our, our marketers and our listeners can, can take on. No, thank you, Jess. And, you know, and we all learn it. Like I love how Jeff Bezos talks about, um, obsessing over customers and I've kind of read all his shareholder letters and if you kind of follow that sequentially and I sometimes go back and listen to it and it's amazing how much innovation can be uh, created by listening to your customers like intently listening to the to your customers they'll tell you things include but even uh, even by not telling you things um, you know and so it's really insightful and I think uh, great companies are built on uh, the ability to listen to their customers in through the data stream, through the conversation stream, uh, and, and, and all sorts of inputs that is humanly possible to uh, capture. So turning our conversation now to the CRO and marketing side of things. So, you know, I've, I'm someone that I post a lot more on LinkedIn. Jess and I have been challenged to post more on LinkedIn, so we're trying to do it. Um, but I typically will talk about my career in a lens that I don't have any regrets. You know, one thing led to another, to another, a learning, something I did wrong, but it created a learning. However, if I did have a hot tub time machine and I could take it back to like, let's say 2015 and reteach myself things, something a lot of marketers I don't feel know as they're getting into the businesses is a lack of understanding of how the roles work once you get to VP, C-level, and what types of indicators they're looking for to gauge success on marketing. So a lot of our discussion today is how can marketers, sales teams, all of us learn about the process that's going on at the top and understand how they can be better in aligning with it? And one of the first questions I had, because this is not a question as much for me now, but it was a few years ago, are the roles of CFO and CRO. So I think it would be insightful, Super Tim, to just tell us the differences in those roles and what you do as a CRO. Yeah, I mean, CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, I also learned that CRO can also be a Chief Risk Officer in some businesses. And I remember going to a financial services conference a long time back in New York City, and they thought I was a Chief Risk Officer, and I was nowhere near being a Chief Risk Officer. So my job is really 
uh, scaling the growth function uh, in in a, in a business, and that really and bringing together the go to market team, which in my mind comprises of sales, in in, in a B two B company at least, it comprises of sales, uh, marketing, and customer success. Is you know those are the three uh, legs that make up um, the go to market function primarily. I mean, there's obviously uh, sales ops, uh, marketing ops, or rev ops, as it's starting uh, started to be called. Uh, all of that is part of it, but sales, marketing, and customer success uh, primarily. And really, what I am trying to do is to bring these three teams together to create a a go to market model that is uh, that that's that helps us scale. And it's really important. Uh, the word scale is scalable is really important. It means that you're going to be adding revenue at a much great at a much greater rate than cost. So you got to get uh, you got to focus on unit economics. You got to focus on things that's working and things that are working at a channel level. Things that are working at a uh, sort of tactic level. You got to nail these things really. And so as a CRO, I obsess about sales and marketing efficiency and finding out the playbook to uh, grow, grow sales or revenue at a faster rate than cost. Uh, the CFO is, an, is a very important partner to keep me honest, because we've all come through, um, at least in the last three or four years, uh, a phase of growth at all costs. And I think um, as we are learning, growth at all costs is, uh, has a limited time shelf. Like it's it's not possible. You you have to grow sustainably, and that's where the partnership with the C, CFO is really really important. Important. I see my role as trying to build a growth machine that is sustainable, that will help us sort of get to uh, hundred million dollars or two hundred million dollars or whatever your growth milestone is in such a way um, that you're not going to burn a ton of cash and run out of business before before you can get to that point. Definitely. That's a great way to put it when you're talking about working through the sales and marketing teams. So, but you're saying, Super Tim, you're a superhero here because that's, you know, a lot of people and a lot of things that you're trying to get, you know, in line to get the revenue stream with everybody on the same page. Can you kind of talk about how you've worked across different teams to ensure everybody is focused on the same goal? Yeah. And that's really important. You know, in my role, my job is like, I keep using the word alignment and I can't overuse the word alignment. It's really important to be aligned. And if you think about successful teams, and this is not me, um, I, I read this somewhere. I like two by two matrix matrices and the, the most successful teams uh, are uh, highly aligned, meaning they're, they, they know what they're doing. Their focus is the same. They're so if you have focus in one axis and trust in the other axis, the, the champion teams have high focus and high trust. And high trust is a process of alignment. You have to create incentives uh, that are aligned to, to the areas that you want to focus on. So first job is I, I try to align the marketing team and the sales team on, on success in the same way. So to me, uh, it, sales success is cannot be misaligned from marketing, has to be aligned with marketing success. So I, I try to create alignment between sales and marketing teams. That doesn't mean that marketing does sales's job or sales does marketing's job. But 
you know, success needs to be the same and the rewards of success needs to be aligned in, uh, within the organization. So I'm a great, um, uh, uh, I'm a great sort of fan of aligning sales and marketing teams and having incentives for marketing teams that's, that, that are the same as the sales team. And the same for uh, customer success, because particularly in a SaaS business, your job's not over after the sale. In fact, it's just started. Retaining a customer is as important as selling to the customer. If you can get to a high NRR value, meaning your customers are happy and they're buying more for you, that's the best and the most efficient way of growing your, growing your company. So sales and marketing, get alignment on how we acquire customers, what type of customers we acquire, and how do we acquire those customers, what our tactics are. Uh, uh, and then uh, after sale, there's a sales and uh, CS alignment as well making sure that the customers that we have sold to uh, adopt our product are happy with what, what they're getting with us and uh, you know brings us brings brings more of them back um, to us uh, as is reflected in our sort of NRR numbers so alignment is really really important Andy I'd say um, and, and I do all kind of team meetings um, obviously but also sort of whether you manage to through uh, OKRs or whatever your system is, uh, really be clear. Like sales KPIs and marketing KPIs I, I, and 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 OKRs, they're all there in front of the, the whole team. They know what we are all moving towards and what success looks like. And particularly for marketing, I love marketing teams to go down funnel, even if they don't own closure. Like your job's not over by creating a lead. Your job's making sure that the leads are converting and you've got to hold the sales team accountable if those leads are not accountable, if those, if those leads are not um, converting. Because you're going to find two things. You're going to find that the quality of leads may not be exactly what you had thought it to be, or you'll, you'll find that the sales team are not doing a great job of, uh, of messaging the like you want them to. Either way, you're going to find problems that need fixing for those leads to convert, mm -hmm. and and that's why I, I really I really like marketing teams focused on um, down funnel conversion metrics as much as some of it is beyond their control. But I make it their business, and they have every right in sort of challenging sales teams in, and 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 interrogating them about what's working, what's not working. On that point, because this this is something that Andy and I see as a major opportunity, especially within the B2B space, 100% agree with you. Marketing and sales alignment is very key. And I love the incorporation of customer success and really thinking about the entire journey. Do you have any, and you gave a lot of advice, but do you have any tips for teams to get started or like wh where would be the one place to to start to really help with this alignment uh you know so let's try and be specific so uh, we will what what i like to say is that the alignment is going to look different based on your go-to-market model so if you are um let's say you are a business like HubSpot used to be. It depends on what your go-to-market. If you're a product-led growth machine, your interlock and alignment is going to look slightly different from if you are uh, inbound marketing-led growth machine or you're a sort of an ABM outbound sales-led growth machine. But whatever it is, at the end of the day, you've got to build a funnel that needs to convert. And so, uh, sourcing the funnel is a 
problem that falls on marketing a lot of times, particularly an inbound inbound marketing-led machine uh, or a product-led growth machine. Uh, but what I like to say is the alignment is who owns the funnel, who owns filling up the funnel. Uh, sometimes it's both sales and marketing. It's not one of one or the other. So in that case, I'd like to say, hey, how much funnel do we need to meet our number and who owns what part of the funnel? Um, you know, so let's start with that alignment. Uh, so the, if the sales team needs to build 30% of the funnel, that's the funnel they own and they make that funnel by making calls, uh, you know, prospecting outbound, whatever they have to do. And then marketing needs to make 70% of the funnel or whatever the number is, maybe through inbound marketing. So they've got to, they've got to create content, um, uh, you know, use digital marketing techniques, uh, whatever those are, right? So I'd like to say, hey, who owns the funnel? What part of the funnel do you own? And let's agree what your handoffs are. And let that be absolutely clear, whether it's OKRs or, 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 or whatever it is. And if the interlocks are clear, then you can interrogate and say, did marketing meet their number? If marketing met their number, then why is not sales meeting their number? And if marketing met their number and sales is not meeting their number, it's either a quality of funnel problem or a conversion of the funnel problem, right? My point of alignment is so that we as a team can interrogate the problem because we are going to have problems, yes. Uh, and sometimes there'll be a quality problem. Sometimes there is going to be an execution problem. I, I'm not afraid of problems, but I'm, I, I want to interrogate the problems so that we know what to solve. And that starts with clearly having handoff criteria. And I, I kind of made it sound easy, but if if you are transparent, I, have, I, I sometimes walk into a company and you see the marketing team has a set of goals that the sales team doesn't know of. And the sales team has a set of goals, like not the revenue goals, but the, the the funnel goals or the sales cycle goals or the conversion goal that the marketing team doesn't know of. And I'm like, you know, we've got to manage the funnel. So the funnel should be transparent to everyone in sales and marketing. This is, the funnel cannot be opaque. We need to know what's coming at the top. We need to know what's happening in the middle and we need to know what's coming out of the bottom. And when we have a problem, we'll create, we'll, we'll create a, you know, a tiger team or whatever it is to solve the top or the middle or the bottom, because we are going to have problems. I love that, Super Tim, and that relates so much to earlier in my career. So I'm a person like a lot of marketers that has gone in B to C, B to B, back to B to C, has done a little bit of everything. You know, that's the way of a lot of you know entry level marketers is you get your hands on a little bit of everything, and that's the way you learn. But the way that you're trained in B to C as somebody working in social or marketer is it's quick, it's turning, it's turning. You know, you can tell if sometimes if you're selling, let's say, a $25 t-shirt, you can tell if that creative and that strategy is going to work in less than a week. Like, you, you'll get the indicators it's not going to work really fast. But when you get in B2B, you know, sometimes I think our mindset comes in, we're trying to get leads, CPL, we're looking for some North Star, you know, right away. And it's very different. You have to to really retrain your your brain as to what your, your go lights are. And I think that what you're talking about is extremely impactful. And I think if there's any takeaway, if there's a, a B2B manager listening right now, that aligning it at that level of sales and marketing and knowing clearly what the goals are and what stages of the funnel, extremely impactful. That's something that just, it, it's not only through, I would say, a business standpoint, but a psychological standpoint of people that are working 
it makes them feel a lot more relaxed and do more creative work when they know what type of goal they're trying to hit. It's it's different ways of marketing. Personally, I like the B2B style better as a marketer because I could kind of like think about macro strategy. If we got a big conversion, it was a huge one. But I think a lot of us are trained more in that B2C fashion where we try to run with things really, really fast. So it's this constant you know, mindset. And, and I think that that is just awesome. Uh, shifting over here, you talked about you know, growth stages, startup companies, um, et cetera. Can you explain what those stages are at a startup? For someone that's working as a marketer or getting started in the startup, they're going to start marketing. But, you know, this is another one for myself. I had to learn what the stages were when we were talking about growth. So you can ex- can you explain what those are and, you know, kind of what your playbook is to get a company through these stages? Yeah, sure. I I I, I like this model. Um, I, I I learned it from uh, Mark Roberge, who was the first CRO of HubSpot, um, and uh, Mark's written a number of books on it. He's uh, an incredibly um, um, you know smart guy uh, and incredibly successful. So uh, you know there are three stages that he talks about, which I've kind of taken to heart and I've kind of implemented that model in every place that I've been in. So the first stage is product market fit. So when you're getting started, you you're really trying to establish product market fit. And what does that mean is do you have customers for the product that you want to sell? And during the product market fit stage, you're not trying to scale. You're not trying to solve anything else except finding customers who will buy your product. You don't need a marketing playbook. You don't need to figure out what your cost per lead is. It's really finding the customers who are going to buy your product and not just buy your product, but use your product and will ultimately be championing your product. So the product market fit is really about solving for retention, if you want to think about it, and usage. A customer buys my product, finds value in the product, and if I take the product away, they're going to feel they've lost value. So that's what you're trying to solve in the product market phase. You know, in the product market fit phase, you really, the type of salespeople that you need is a founder. The founder is often the the most important salesperson in the product market fit phase. Or you may have an early stage salesperson who's not an experienced sales guy, who's not done it and seen it. You know, maybe someone who's kind of an evangelical salesperson, knows the product, is very passionate about the space. Those are the kind of people who work in the product market fit phase because you're really trying to find who do you sell to uh, and why do they use you for but once you've established product market fit, let's say you found out who are your ideal customer profile is. That's what you find out in, your, in the product market fit phase. You can now define, uh, coming out of the product market fit phase, you can define what your ideal customer profile looks like. Uh, you, know, you can paint a picture of that ideal customer profile. What kind of company? Who is the buyer persona? You have a, you have a sketch in your mind. And then you can embark on what, what I call is the go-to-market go fit. And go-to-market fit is about, you know, it's really, you'll find go-to-market fit is about finding what channel are you going to sell your product, uh, who you're selling it to, and and getting one of those things right. You can build a $100 million business by having one channel that really works for you. Maybe the channel is, hey, I acquire my customers through LinkedIn, 
because that's the profile that I'm looking for. And I know what my CPLs are. I know what my order, average order value is. I know what my buyer or my audience pool is. And if you've nailed just one channel, Andy, sometimes like one digital channel, maybe maybe it's a Google, maybe it's Google search or, uh, or LinkedIn or whatever it is, or ABM. Uh, but go-to-market fit is is a lot about solving for unit economics. This is what I say. You know, like if you if you know what channel works uh, for your product and what customers you're aiming at, that's when you can go to the to phase three is kind of what I call the growth and moat. Uh, so that's when you can really press um, on the foot press on the foot pedal. Meaning you 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 know a dollar in is it going to be is going to be a dollar out or whatever the whatever the math is, but don't scale until you've figured out what you how how you you can scale your unit unit economics. You know a lot of companies make the mistake of finding product market fit and then say oh we've crashed it we've cracked it sorry, and we can now spend a lot of money on digital or whatever your channel is and scale the business. But if you haven't figured out your your unit economics, if you do not know what your sales and marketing efficiency is, if you if you're burning dollars with every customer that you're selling to, then you're going to run out of dollars very very quickly. Don't grow and and scale unless you know what your unit economics is, is, is at a core level. And this gets more complicated because along the journey you're going to add more products. So you now have you know it's almost like the puzzle gets more complicated it's hard enough doing it for one product because the way i think about it there is the market and the market is what segments do you sell to mid-market or uh, enterprise or sort of smb you know you can segment them or maybe they're behavioral segments in the market whatever it is then there are channels do you sell directly do you have an outbound do you have a sales team or do you sell through a channel or maybe you sell through both of those so you know what are you going to scale and then of course there is the product now, if you've got one product, then your job's simpler. But if you've got two or three products, then you know, like you, you can you can build the, the the cubes here, and it gets really complicated. And you've got to solve for every box: which segment, what channel, what product. And I'd like to get all the three right. Uh, understand what my unit economics is, and then say, okay, now I know how it works. Now I know if I spend a hundred dollars, I'm going to get a hundred and ten back. And I know what my payback period is. I can go and really spend a lot of money on the channel that's that I've really cracked. Just I thought of you when uh, Sir Tim just talked about the different products because I know with your accounts we see this in tech a lot where there's not only different products but there's sometimes different teams that come with the products, almost different units within you know, an organization. Is is Super Tim and Jess? I'd love to hear you elaborate on this. Is this something that Two, that you have to calculate that if new products come, that means new team members, and it's like a whole other piece of the pie that you're now cutting when you're making, you know, uh, strategic business decisions. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, when you introduce a new product, this is is a really important moment in the life of a startup as it's growing. Uh, the first question I ask is, what is the new product? Who are you selling to? Are you selling to the same persona that your the, the first product was? being sold to if the persona changes you know it is incredibly it's almost a different different go-to-market model like if you're selling to a cmo and then you start selling to a cfo you got you know you got to build a new go-to-market team almost a new go-to-market team. your messaging is different uh, you know uh the measure of value is different um all of that changes if you're selling to the same persona it's a lot more easier to sort of scale your current team enable them to kind of sell 
um, sell the same product. But I, I start with, you know, what's the new product uh, and what is the message that works? And ultimately, when you, when you launch new products, I'm a great fan of uh, running the product line separately to start with. Like, don't let one product cannibalize the other, uh, even, even if it will ultimately do. But I still like to sort of set up, set those teams up separately so that each product can compete on their own merit a little bit. And then you figure out the bundling value of the product. You know, it's, it may be that ultimately there are synergies, but initially a product's got to fight for its own life, you know, and, and has to prove sort of value on its own. On its own. It's very easy to sort of, uh, you know, add a product on top of a product and almost subsidize the success of the product without really knowing what, you, what you're getting for it. So I, I, I almost like to figure out what the real value is before you subsidize the value uh, of the whole bundle, if that makes sense. Definitely. So Super Tim, I want to jump to some career questions here to close us out. So someone right now, they're listening, they're in sales or marketing, they're thinking, hey, I'd love to make that jump one day uh, to CRO or even someone VPC level. Uh, what is the advice you would give them to try to make that jump and start to angle their North Star wherever they're at in their career right now? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I didn't plot my career. Things happened to me uh, personally. And, and the one thing that I've learned, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, uh, you've got to be a learning machine. Uh, you know, you just have to keep learning. Uh, uh, you're not going to grow if you stop learning. Like, uh, and in the world that we live, uh, technology is going, the technology is going to disrupt our life in ways that people are probably going to have three or four careers in, in, in one career. Uh, you know, and, and so you've got to be a learning machine. Adaptability is your, your superpower. You've got to build relationships um, because relationships are, relationship is not a bad thing. It opens your doors. If you have friends at good places, uh, and this is not me saying Warren Buffett said it, you know, they open doors for you. Not, and you're not manipulating the system. You're just, you're just knowing people helps you learn from them and it opens doors for you in a, in a very serendipitous way. So I'd say build relationships without thinking about what value can you extract from those relationships. If the only thing that you can do is learn from your relationships, that's good enough. Just that's really good enough. I say this to salespeople a lot of times, you know, Sometimes the relationship that you've cultivated is going to pay you back in ways that you cannot see, uh, in ways that you cannot see. And I'll tell you, as a, as, as a veteran of 29 years, it's happened so many times in my life. Like, it's so many times that it's, it's not even funny. So be a learning machine, build relationships, and lean into data. Uh, really lean into data, you know. Uh, we we all key, as human beings we like stories, but sometimes when you look at the data and like I I, I like when I was was in sales I I kind of kept a scorecard of what I was doing and what I was not doing well and it really helped me learn because you know the data was telling me things that my brain was not telling me like the stories I told myself wasn't necessarily the, the story that the data was telling me and once I if you are humble enough to learn from data you are going to make improvements that others are not. And ultimately, that's going to propel you to places that you cannot see uh, and, in, and open up opportunities that you cannot see. And you'll, you'll become whatever you want, want to become, whether it's a 
CEO or a founder or a VP marketing, um, you know, those things are going to happen if you just learn, build relationships and lean into data. Love it. Super, Tim. Final question. This has been an amazing discussion. There's so many there's so many tidbits we can take away from this and your experience in so many different lenses just speaks so true of how you've been able to, as you talk about build relationships, but learn along the way. And it's no different than what we're seeing right now. So you turn on your LinkedIn feed, you blast through it. It's, it's chat GBT, it's AI, it's new AI companies, startups galore. Um, there is a lot happening right now in our sphere. And, you know, also just the global economy, you know, here in the U.S., of course, we've, you know, faced the recession that is right now. We've seen other types of recessions and other different places across the globe. What would be your advice right now to a CRO that's probably dealing with some different things that, you know, they probably weren't expecting maybe a year and a half, two years ago? Yeah, I mean, the economic climate is very different from what it was about a year and a half ago. We're not growing at all costs. We have to grow sustainably. Uh, AI, I mean, 2022 was probably the year of AI. You refer to chat GPT and there's a lot more coming. Um, so I, I think we have to lean into these changes and technology and use it to our advantage. Um, we can, you know, chat GPT is great. Like uh, my team's using chat GPT in ways that I had not even thought of. Salespeople are using chat GPT for prospecting. And I'm just amazed looking at how you can do sales research um, so much more better than typing it in Google search. Like you can do prospect research. Um, uh, marketing teams are using chat GPT for uh, content creation, like amazing uh, things uh, that I see my content marketing team doing. So what I'm learning from it, and clearly we, we are learning, is these technologies are, are something to lean into and we will find utility um, and we can use that to our to, to our advantage. But again, it's a learning team, uh, Andy. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like Chat GPT, uh, in in six months, in twelve months' time, it's probably going to do things that we cannot even think of at the uh, at the moment. Uh, but that's why we've got to lean into these things. I remember in the early days of the internet, people who got got onto um, the internet faster than the others had an advantage and ultimately sort of disrupted the legacy players. I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. Um, you know, we these are technologies that's going to. Um, be disruptive in, in the short to medium term, no, no question about it. Uh, how it's quite, quite going to play out, I don't know, but I think you've got to be brave um, and you've got to adapt to it and you are going to find a niche uh, that will keep you one step ahead of your competition. Uh, and that's, that's what I'd say, say to every CRO. I mean, your job's going to look different in six months' time. My job's going to look different. Uh, how I the kind of technologies and tools that I'm uh, I'm going to be using are are different, but that's the way it's always been. Superdim, I could go on for hours and hours on this. It's been a great discussion. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for joining us again. If you're just tuning in, Superdim Biz was the CRO of Wired Score. Thank you again for joining us. We will definitely have to pick up this conversation sometime down the line because it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Andy, and thank you, Jess. No problem. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, just that is another great mm -hmm. discussion to clean, <laughs> to finish off our uh, C-suite series. You know, it's, 
there's so much nuggets in there that I think when we consult clients, there this one really hit on a lot of the hot topics we have. Like I felt like we just went through so much sales marketing alignment, um, KPIs for your team, a big, big thing in the marketing world that the KPIs are aligned. Talking about marketing after the lead. One that's one near and dear to my heart. You know, I talk about that a lot. So um, and then just really the learnings, you know, being open to learning different departments. I think Super Tim really laid a, a groundwork of how somebody grows their career in the industry that we're in. Absolutely. I was just going to say there's there's so much to unpack with uh, Super Tim's expertise, his his knowledge and what he shared I feel like he could also teach a course on marketing and sales alignment. Yes, I would sign up for it. And, yes. you know, that's something I think is, I, I, I've been trying to implement a little more personality into some of the sessions I do, but I think it's important for myself to even note that as a marketer, there are things he was saying that I learned today, but there were things that I was years into my marketing career before I learned about how sales or how business operates. And that would have, it probably would have made me understand the the reason why we do things. I, I feel like that's really, really important. I think marketers, if they're not getting that right now, asking questions, I think is so, so important because the, the sales alignment, I've heard this a lot. And I, and this is just through my marketing career. I've heard the quote, I'm not sales. And I've heard sales, I'm not marketing. But I think there just has to be some, you know, that there has to be a better way to converse and strategize. So I think Super Tim hit on that a lot in the conversation. Yes. And, and not just to oversimplify what he was saying, but just this idea of as a starting place, bringing both teams together and plotting out what does the funnel look like and how does each team generate value and are tied to the funnel goals. I think that is so key. And then he talked about OKRs and like the further alignment, but just just getting into a room is is as tactical and basic as it sounds, but to get into a room mm-hmm. and align and just plot the funnel. Yep. Starting there, genius. You know, and that was funny because I've, I've had this conversation before in, in the EDU space. So I found that EDU, you know, depending on what type of partner it is, is mostly B2C, it can be a little B2B, but the B2C actually plays similar to B2B because you're asking a prospective student enroll enroll in an MBA program. It might take a long time after a lead before they become an application or enrollment. Um, I had this conversation where I had admissions teams and I had marketing teams. We were just kind of spitballing a lot of different things. We're talking about different classrooms and if they were full or not. And the question that came up, Andy, the CPL went up 35% over the last three months, you know, is something wrong with what we're doing? And then I asked, well, is the classroom, how's the classroom doing? And then they told me that, oh, we filled it in record time this semester. And I was like, we're good then. <laughs> like, that's the KPI right there. And it's, you know, I think the North Star KPI is so important in these organizations because CPL, CPM, cost per click, all these can be driven by different market factors. Something I've talked about before, especially during COVID, there was a lot of news headlines, there was a lot of things happening, there was a lot of disruption in the marketplace. 
If my marketplace is disrupted for as much as a week, your CPC, CPL, CPM, CP everything could go up. If my marketplace is disrupted because let's go back to B to C, it's Black Friday, everything's going to be a lot higher usually then because it, the feed is just going to be fooled with marketers trying to get space on the feed. So I think aligning with what that North Star is, and you can look at those other numbers along the way, but I think it's such, when I was a marketer and I wasn't held to strict CPLs, it made my life so much freer creatively. And I was able to actually do a lot better work, but it's trusting the process, the team you built and the strategy that's in place. And it's super, Tim touched on this multiple times. And I just, I want to reiterate because it is so key and important. And again, it's this curiosity, being curious and being curious with the customers and having those conversations and gaining that deeper understanding of what's in it for the customer. We talk about this all the time. Something else he added to that though, was when you're having these empathy interviews, not just focusing in on what they're saying, which is also important and can be enlightening, but looking at those indirect cues, looking at their body expressions, looking at like what they're not saying, as, as Super Tim put it, can also be that key. And the data points that he was talking about too, that these are these are considered data points uh, to continue to grow, learn, evolve, and, and innovate. So I just have to hit on that again. Yeah, and you know, something from a customer standpoint, you know, my famous story we talk about in the meetings all the time with our team is that I'm a former LinkedIn customer and it's, you know, talk about relationships Super Tim hit on. Um, I have a story about that we'll talk about before we end. Uh, but as a customer, I think I see things through an interesting lens. And a lot of times it's not just LinkedIn, it's social media platforms or any digital platform. They often will come to an agency or a client and they think that we have the audience and it's perfect. They'll do this great presentation, new features, new things, bells and whistles, cool, let's do it, great idea. A lot of times we leave the meeting, we do think it's a great idea as a customer. But one thing that is a constant development that happens within customers in the digital space is new platforms are time equals money. And if it's a new platform, you just double your work overnight if you're running Facebook and LinkedIn or Facebook and Twitter. Like it literally, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, I think sometimes, but it literally just doubles it. So that's a challenge I've brought to my sales pods that have told me that, hey, you know, they're not diving into LinkedIn as much, but it seems like they really want it. And I'm like, they probably do, but it's efficiency. And I think that Super Tim hits on this as well, is that a lot of these companies, they have to operate within this lean world. So something I've taken from being a customer, and I'm trying to listen to my customer side now to my LinkedIn side, is I teach efficiency with everything I do, no matter what type of workshop or meeting that I'm having, I'm showing an efficient way to do something to get started because that is going to, I feel like, hit home more than some sort of, you know, new development. Now, again, if it's a different company and maybe they're further along in that adventure, maybe that's not the right play. But if I hear that feedback, you know, I really, really focus on efficiency and that comes from listening to customers.
Mm -hmm. Yes, going back to gaining that deeper understanding. And, and I tie the efficiency piece to like what Super Tim was talking about with going, bringing the product to market and understanding like what's the one platform that we need to focus on. And we've heard this across uh, multiple stories from our guests where that, you know, it's not, you're not everything to everyone. You need to gain this understanding. And then based on that understanding, really focus in on what's going to be most relevant for them. Yes, most definitely. And what's relevant to them in that moment, you know, there's the moment I think is something big we always have to hit on. And, you know, we think about listening to customers, startups, and, you know, this world that exists. And then we look at someone, let's say, you know, Google, Meta, uh, LinkedIn, they're all startups at one point. Everybody, these phases that Super Tim was talking about, they were all in these phases at some point. Granted, some had more to work with than others. You know, that's always nice. But a lot of them, you know, uh, watch the social network about Mark Zuckerberg. Great movie. It's very Hollywood land. It's lightly true. But the parts that are true in that is that a lot of these businesses, they do start up with a couple of people in a bedroom, throwing stuff together. They have an idea and then they have to get through this phase to build it up. And, you know, it's not easy, but it, it's definitely something everyone goes through. So I think sometimes once we get to this kind of corporate status, we start looking at numbers and data and we have so much of it and all of it's so great but we lose sight of the customer when we do that so you got to be able to blend both uh you know in this really complicated industry of you know what's right and what's wrong one of jesse eisenberg's uh, yes. greatest performances i thought he yes. did so well in that movie and, and a great a great case study on again solving a problem by understanding human behavior and poor Andrew Garfield in that movie um I <laughs> yeah. you know, you know I, I don't know how much of his part was true or not I do know I, I can't think of the name of the character he played I do know he got you know paid out of meta and or Facebook at that time I do know that part's true but I just felt terrible for him the whole movie it just it kind of made me sad at the end um but um, final kind of story I'd like to hit on in our discussion today is the topic that Super Tim had about building relationships and kind of seeing where that North Star takes you. I've told this story on the podcast, you know, I've told it a little bit today. I used to be a LinkedIn customer. I've worked with, you know, a handful of people at LinkedIn years before I joined the company. So those relationships were definitely very valuable for me because some of the people that were you know, my LinkedIn reps are now my LinkedIn coworkers. But a funny thing that I told them um, is there were times where it was either we switched who the reps were or the account was being shifted to another agency, whatever it may be. I'd always tell them at the end that I'm like Michael Myers and that you think you get rid of me, but I always keep coming back. So I said, it might be years from now because, you know, Michael Myers, you know, the horror movies, they take like 10 years off sometimes. So I'd tell them, it's like, I will be back at some point. And then I popped up on a Zoom call and I joined LinkedIn. I said, I told you I'd be back. You just didn't know how I was going to show up again. Okay. I love the horror story reference. I, I don't watch any horror movies, but didn't a Halloween just recently come it, it out? Like, hey, he's back. 
Yeah, he, he is back. So yeah, you're he's right back on again. He's t- it was terrible, but um, you know the so here's my parameter for horror movies. This is a great way to close. Is horror movies can keep going on and on and on, and they're corny, and that's partially what makes them great. So the usual we talk about like a flow of a company. So here's like the flow of horror movies. The original to get a bunch of sequels has to usually be some sort of classic. Silence of the Lambs, Halloween, Saw. Like these are movies that people they distinctly remember what happened in their head, but they don't remember three, four, five, eight nearly as much. So it usually starts, you do one, do a second one, it might be all right. The third one like ends the trilogy, it takes a break, then it comes back again. Then at some point we hit a prequel by about stage five or six because they're running out of ideas. There's some sort of large break that starts to happen like 10 to 15 years go, go on. Now we're back again. The comeback is usually really good. Like it's like, okay, they got it in gear again. But then they shortly run out of ideas again. And then it ends up in 3D or somebody's going on a starship to space. And that's when it's like, okay, it's over. And then it goes on after that for another 15 years. And then they reboot the whole thing again. And we start the process all over again. Wow. Well, there you have it. The inside look into the the making of a horror film franchise. The rule about horror movies, if it's in 3D or it's in space, it's not going to be good. Like that's those are the indicators that things have gone completely off the rocker. It doesn't, I mean, maybe I could handle watching one that's in space. That doesn't sound too scary. No, it's just cornball. I would say watch Jason X. So they freeze Jason Voorhees' body and they take him into a starship into the future. And some, I can't remember how, but his body becomes unfrozen and he starts killing off the people on the starship. Wow. (laughs) And then then I'll I'll give you a spoiler um, alert on that. Actually, they played this into how the movies work because while he's on that, he gets zapped back to Camp Crystal Lake somehow at the end of the movie but in the past and then he gets zapped back in there and he's dead but in freddy versus jason freddy krueger goes into his dreams while he's not alive and then brings him back to camp crystal lake and resurrects him oh man i don't i don't know where to go from here. <laughs> it's, it's complex that I could do that's another podcast I love horror movies so we could definitely if we ever want to just do a horror movie podcast you know we could watch a few and do some reviews of movies around Halloween time I'd be totally up for it and we can and we can absolutely look into the marketing and yes. see if if n- nostalgia plays into yes. the the marketing campaign yes there's definitely some avenues to take there not to derail too much but We've derailed enough. Another great podcast, Jess. We will change gears next week. We'll give you a preview soon as to what we're doing there. But it's been a fantastic C-level series. We've learned a lot. And remember to listen on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the podcasts, main networks. You'll find us the making of a marketer. But until next time, Jess, uh, we'll speak again soon. Bye. See ya. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. 
Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.